Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season, I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing. I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people like jazz bassist christian mcbride jazz is based on improvisation but there's very much a form to it you have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes so it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say okay talk about this listen to the new season of here's the thing on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts hey i'm bruce bozzi on the last season of table for two We had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The cheerleaders at a gym in Buffalo have been recording themselves. What's up? To make a new documentary. We're the so-called news reporters. Because one year ago, a mass shooting changed their lives. He just walked around and shot all the black people. The cheer squad, most of whom are black, had to figure out how to go on and how to compete. I wanted the win for them more than anything this season. Listen to the Embedded podcast from NPR within the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. It's Las Vegas, it's the 1990s, and it is time to find a husband. There were four Jewish doctors who were felt to be eligible bachelors. One of them was Bob Berenbaum. On paper, he was perfect. 
But in reality... This guy's a wacko. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On How Rude, Tanneritos, the Full House Rewatch podcast. Join characters Stephanie Tanner and Kimmy Gibbler, also known as actresses Jodie Sweetin and Andrea Barber, as they relive every episode of your favorite Friday night comfort show. We spent our entire childhoods on a little show called Full House playing frenemies, but becoming besties whenever the cameras weren't rolling. And now, 35 years later, it's our biggest adventure yet. Listen to How Rude Tanneritos on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Are you ready for a brand new podcast that you had no idea existed? I'm Roy Scovel. And I'm Daniel Van Kirk, and it's the Pen Pals Podcast. Maybe you've had a pen pal before. Well, you have two of them right now. You send us your letters about anything going on in your life. Got a mean grandma? Need a new haircut? Whatever it is, send it to us. And we have guests like Will Ferrell, Andy Samberg, Rose Byrne, Brett Goldstein, and Mandy Moore. Listen to the Pen Pals Podcast on Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Piketon Massacre, a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. Season 2, Episode 8, Expert Roundtable. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. On June 21st, 2021, accused brother George Wagner IV appeared in court for a pretrial hearing in the Roden murder case. Case number 2018, CR-155, scheduled for a uh, hearing on a, a number of uh, defense pretrial motions. It was the first full hearing to take place since George's younger brother, Jake Wagner, pled guilty to killing five of the eight slain members of the Roden family in April 2016. And it was Jake's plea and what he potentially told authorities that became the defense's primary focus during these proceedings. I think we need more than 60 days to investigate whatever we learned in Jake's proffer because we've not been provided that, even though it's been available for two months. We have not received that. We are entitled to that under Criminal Rule 16. And once we get it, I understand it's more than 10 hours of recorded statements. So once we get that, we need an adequate amount of time to investigate whatever we need to investigate. And we'll certainly comply with our discovery obligations. The state agreed to work towards providing George Wagner's attorneys with Jake's confession. The court also scheduled George's next motion hearing to take place on September 13th. But before court was dismissed, Judge Randy Deering provided one critical piece of information for George moving forward. We have set a trial date in this case for April 4 at 8.30 a.m. With accused brother George Wagner set to begin trial on April 4, 2022, there will surely be a lot to cover moving forward. But just a few days before George Wagner's most recent hearing, we got some of our regular contributors together for discussion. Reporters Anjanette Levy and Jody Barr, and criminal forensic expert Joseph Morgan. We covered a range of topics that span their years covering the Roden murder case. We started out with a talk about some of the details they had heard leading up to George Wagner's trial last week and what they expected the outcome to be. Anjanette Levy started us off. Some documents filed by George IV's lawyers saying they still haven't received Jake's statements to law enforcement. And they were led to believe that Jake's interviews were between 10 and 18 hours. So they subpoenaed Greg Myers, who is the lead counsel for Jake. And they filed a motion demanding that the additional discovery, including Jake's interviews, be turned over. 
So we don't know the you know veracity of his statements or how truthful they are, other than he allegedly led them to the vehicle used and the, the weapons used. So, I mean, he did quite a bit of talking. Jody, how rare is it for one attorney to subpoena another attorney? I don't recall a specific instance of that, but I mean, that that is a clear indication that one side does not feel that they are getting the information they need to defend their client. So I think it's uh, worth a deeper look at, you know, why either the state or Jake's own attorneys are, are not playing ball here. That's been a complaint the entire time that defense attorneys have complained consistently that they're not getting material as quickly as they would like. And you would think they would just make a copy and send it over. Yeah, I mean, and in this one, I would venture a guess that it was at least audio recorded, perhaps, if not video recorded, this statement that Jake gave. So, I mean, you know, they need to produce this. I don't know how, you know, these three defense teams can adequately prepare for trial when there's this huge evidence dump from Jake Wagner's mouth that apparently they don't have access to right now. You've got one of the four saying, I did it, I did it. And, uh, you know, what did he do exactly? I, we didn't hear it in court. You know, maybe he, he, he told that story in the statements, but you know, 10 to 18 hours, that's a heck of a long time to have a conversation, cover a lot of ground in that time. So at, at a quote, normal pre-trial, what happens? What's the broad strokes? They usually ask the defendant if they're happy with their lawyer and they're meeting with their lawyer enough and they discuss the pace of discovery and what have you. But I feel like in this case, nothing ever happens. I mean, they go into chambers for an hour and then they come out and put something on the record because these are death penalty cases. Now they're really not death penalty cases because they've taken that off the table if Jake testifies against everyone. They typically are pretty uneventful. We've had some sparks fly in some of the motions hearings, but I haven't, you know, these pretrials tend to be pretty dry. Yeah, I thought that too until, what was that, April the 21st of this year, the night before Jake Wagner pled guilty, I was told by some family members that BCI reached out and said, you want to be at the courthouse tomorrow in Pike County. And then that was just docketed as a pretrial hearing. And there was no indication that Jake Wagner would be pleading guilty other than the state calling the family and suggesting they be there. So that actually turned into the end of his prosecution. So man, I think uh, if, if you get a call from the family, any one of these pretrials, it just seemed like a routine, you know, where are we in this prosecution? And does everybody have what they need so we can try this thing? Man, I think you got to be careful in this case. You don't know what may come next. I mean, Jake was, I think, a complete surprise to everybody, even the family. What were your thoughts on that day, Joseph? None of us were expecting this. Do you remember? We were all texting between one another saying, what in the hell is going on? Because this thing dropped like thunder out of the heavens and we never saw it coming. I didn't. Certainly, I had no idea that this was about to happen. So you could knock me over with a feather that day. There is a distinct possibility that he could come in and plead. I don't think he's going to plead guilty. If he if he was going to plead guilty, I don't think his lawyer would be like filing a demand for discovery and a trial date. So just my opinion. But what do I know? Probably get out there and something crazy will happen. It's the Piketon Massacre. Who knows? You never know where this is going next. Covering this story, who did you guys first think did it? I thought it could have been related to the pot, you know, the marijuana growing operation. But I had been told early on by some law enforcement sources, federal law enforcement sources, that the cartel thing wasn't true because they ran that down. Because of the level of violence that was involved in it 
And it, it didn't seem like messaging so much to me as you would see with an organized crime hit. There's generally something that will be left that is substantial. You know, the elements that we've talked about quite a bit relative to overkill in cases I've seen and then, you know, displayed before us, it seemed very intimate to me. Very, very intimate. And cartels love their money, but they're not intimate. Also, with intimacy comes that level of familiarity. And the fact that in this tight little space, you know, and it is a tight little space when you travel down that road, you have these locations where all these people inhabited this, these very specific pinpoint locations. And there's other structures and other families around that area. They knew where they were going. There were no mistakes. Many times, if somebody's not familiar with an area and they're going to go out and kill somebody, you'll have mistakes along the way. But they had pinpointed four separate locations. And that, again, goes back, I think, there's connectivity with that seed of intimacy. The whole thing about the dogs not barking, because they said those dogs would have, that was just very strange. We knew there was a baby. We knew there was a child. You know, we knew about the little girl. And we knew about the Wagners. But I didn't hear the Wagner name and any association with the murders or suspected association until May of 2017. And then, Jody, was that your experience as well? I got over there heavily in June, July, right after the murders. And I mean, people you talk with, even the family members had already, and I don't know what the reasons were, but had already suspected something uh, to do with the Wagners. I mean, they had already floated, you know, the Wagner farm out as being the base of operations for this family. There was also a drug case in Adams County, which is just right next door to Pike, that the rumor mill believed could have been linked, you know, to the Wagners, the Wagner farm, or at least, you know, what happened over as far as the drug angle that ended up not being uh, connected in the end, or as far as we know, it's not connected. But, you know, we went as far as, you know, covering a, a court hearing over there for someone who had a substantial amount of drugs on them. So anyway, there were, there was a lot swirling around, but the Wagner name, we heard that early on that some people suspected that they were somehow involved. But, you know, back then it's, it's like, how do you even, where do you start on something like that? I went out past that, you know, the Flying W farm. You try to dig in the property records and background these people. And first off, there wasn't a lot to background with these folks. And secondly, it's just, you know, what you did find didn't scream mass murderers. I didn't see anything there that would cause me to continue digging. There was nothing that I found, at least, in looking into the Wagner family that I went, okay, there it is, smoking gun. The rumors are true. It's just you collected it as information. You try to vet it. You get nowhere and you just move on. And then Anjanette, yeah, I'm curious your perspective. I'm starting to develop an idea of them. I started looking into them. And, you know, when you see that Jake and George owned the house and the mom lived there with them, I was kind of like, oh, that's weird. And then I remember being out there and hearing a little bit about, you know, how they lived and learning more about George's wife, now ex-wife. It all started to kind of sound very interesting. So um, I remember specifically going up to the Flying W and you go up there and it's like this steep, I would say it's like a 60 or 70 degree kind of like driveway, gravel driveway and driving up there and being basically told to get off the property, you know, just seeing if they wanted to comment. So it was a little creepy, a little scary. I mean, it's a beautiful property, don't get me wrong, but when your cell phone doesn't work and you're driving up somewhere to go try to talk to somebody and somebody, you know, basically comes out and tells you to get out of there, it felt a little weird, you know, obviously it wasn't very welcoming. 
I started digging around on Facebook quite a bit too. And it didn't seem like on the surface that you would suspect anything. You know, the mom, Angela, was running some type of little organic farm type thing at that Peterson Road house. You know, she was trying to breed animals and sell them. And she had pictures of the children on there on Facebook. So, you know, at first it didn't seem weird, but then I contacted her and said, look, you know, I'd love to do an interview with you. And then some of the things Angela Wagner said to me on Facebook Messenger kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable (laughs) the way she was trying to dictate what I said, what I would be reporting about our conversations on Facebook Messenger. She said, you know, you are not to report any of this, what I said. You know, I, I do not give you permission to report anything I just told you. She said that she was being slandered, she and her family. Do you think Jake is lying about being personally responsible for five of the eight? I don't know what his incentive to lie about that is. I mean, is he that afraid of the death penalty? The economics of that equation just does not make sense to me, where he would openly confess to murdering five people. Probably the worst act you could commit as a human is taking the life of another. And he did that five times over. I think we got a good idea of what happened here. And Jake Wagner told his story in court and he uh, took the guilty plea and uh, said he did it. Five of the eight. You know, I I think that's the best shot we've had so far at some confirmation of really peeling this story back. I think the world wants to know what happened when they woke up that morning, put this plan in place, who went where, who did what. As I think all of us have done since April 2016, when this happened, as you roll around these uh, scenarios in your mind trying to figure out, first off, what's the mindset of someone to pull this off and then to just run free for, what, two years afterward? And you live with this every day of your life. It may have been passion-driven, and it was certainly anger-driven, but it wasn't like somebody just suddenly flew off the handle and decided to go and visit hell down upon the roads. This is something that took planning, in my estimation at least. So you begin thinking this confederacy What do you think about when you're moving from someplace like the last house that you hit with multiple people in it, and then you drive out to Kenneth's house at some distance away? You know, what does that conversation consist of? You talk about what music you're going to listen to on the radio. You talk about who's going to handle what. I don't know who pulled the trigger. Jake said he killed five of them. But I can't imagine, to Jody's point, why in the world that man would say that he killed five people in an open court and he didn't do it. So that leaves us with the other three. Who would do this and do it in the presence of these babies and just leave them? And I can only imagine having wallowed around about in that blood there. I don't know. It, it, it leaves me dumbfounded, and that's hard to do. Hannah Gilly, she was attacked on only second to Chris Roden. She was shot this woman five times in the face, which is an unbelievable overkill. So the thought is A, why? And then also, is it possible it would be a connection, a rage, because her brother, Charlie Gilly, is the father of Hannah Roden's new baby? That would be my suspicion, but I I really don't know for sure. I mean, I I would just be speculating because of that connection. There's a whole lot more going on. And, you know, Hannah Gilly shot five times in the face. It's, uh, you know, you look at that and go, well, is that a message being sent? One shot is a message, you know, five. I don't know what you're doing at that point. Jay Wagner at least set out with a plan that night to do what he did to five of the eight, you know, who killed the other three. You know, I, I just I just hope we all you know get these answers. Now, this brings us to another point. I'm going to reflect back to an old, old case real quick that many people will be aware of. 
and absolutely horrendous. And it's Dennis Rader with BTK killing. Now in Kansas, he stood up and he said, I will, in fact, admit to everything I've done since, I don't know, 1973 or 74. Whenever, whenever it was, he started this horrific murder spree, his serial killings. They put this one caveat in there. They said, okay, that's fine. We'll take death off the table and you have to stand in court and you have to stand and deliver at this moment in time. And he was compelled to what is framed as an allocution. He had to stand there. And it's one of the most chilling things you've ever seen because this guy's a psychopath. And so when you listen to him give the details behind these horrific crimes he participated in, it really makes you wonder if you want this thing that people talk about, they frame as closure because it's a horror show. But in this particular case, if this is the route you're going to go, I think that these individuals should be compelled to allocute. Let's think about these babies that are left behind. These children, don't you think they're going to want an explanation at some point in time? I mean, yeah, I know the community does, but what about these kids? Let's just assume that they do get convictions on all fronts here. What do you do? You push them off into a deep, dark hole and they're never to be heard from again. And we'll never hear anything else about this. And people keep talking about, well, we'll never hear the true story. We'll never, because a deal was cut and they weren't compelled, the perpetrators, if, if it is them and they are so convicted, they were never compelled to say, okay, this is what happened. This is how the planning took place. And this is what we did that night. And those questions will always exist. And on a, a, a broader note, you're always going to have, you know, people sitting in their basement with tinfoil hats on saying, well, it wasn't them. Uh, you know, there'll be crazy conspiracy theories that will be created for years and years to come. But what actually happened that night? We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. Back in the 1990s in Las Vegas, a few of us dated the most eligible bachelor in town, Bob. He spoke several languages. He did medical missionary work, and he was Jewish. He was perfect on paper. But he wasn't. He really wasn't. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. Bob could lie about anything. It only takes the one time and somebody ends up dead. Unfortunately for Bob, us girlfriends know how to fight back. I wanted him to pay for his crime. He needed to be put to justice. I'll be honest with you, if I saw him right now, I'd spit on him. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. I will always hound you and haunt you. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In our 22 years of friendship, Andy, this has to be the most bizarre thing we've ever done. I know. I love it. Our podcast, My Vagina Said What, is a podcast where we ask our everyday vagina listeners to pull up a seat at the best friend's table as we share our most personal and humiliating stories and ask questions about women's bodies. We are going to discuss all body things. Like, what exactly are we supposed to do with our pubes? Oh my gosh. If you could have a heart-shaped pube that were bedazzled in pink rubies. Perimenopause. I feel right now justified. I'm going to start my own personal movement. I'm going to start blaming anything that goes wrong in my life on perimenopause. Leg hair too long. Perimenopause. (laughs) (laughs) Don't have the will to clean. Perimenopause. Exactly. 
our whack periods, boob issues, and so much more. Listen to My Vagina Said What podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What? LA's reputation, not so great. People from LA will have a very superficial, nice conversation with you, and they won't lift a finger to help you. LA people represent vapidity. Stop that. Like, oh, the best calls. Like, oh, shoot me. As someone born and raised here, I can tell you there's much more to LA than this. My name is James Kim, and I'm the creator of a new anthology fiction podcast called You Feeling This. It's 10 different stories about LA and the real people who make up this city. What up, Lisa? Did you listen to my message? Who are just trying to get by. I think I was just freaking out because I'm scared. By connecting with each other. (laughs) I'm going to be a father? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You Feeling This, a fiction podcast mixtape about love. Listen to it on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the unbelievable but true story of George Remus. You might know him as a character from Boardwalk Empire or as the inspiration for Jay Gatsby. He was an eccentric and genius lawyer who figured out how to game the system during Prohibition. Remus is in the whiskey business, and Remus is the biggest man in the business. While living the life of luxury with his glamorous and ambitious wife, Imogene. Daddy, I am so glad you are here. But George Remus's wild existence took a dark and shocking turn, leading to betrayal. She had Remus just exactly where she wanted him. Revenge. Feel this muscle. I got this for Remus. I could crush him like an egg. And one of the most sensational murder trials in American history. We the jury find the defendant. Join me, Abbott Kaler, as we trace George Remus's transformation from bootleg king to alleged madman. Listen to Remus, the mad bootleg king, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your theory on who the mastermind is? I don't want to indict anybody, obviously, but we have Jake Wagner confessing and implicating all of his family members in this, at least Billy, Angela, and his older brother, George, the fourth. Angela, if you if you really kind of watch these hearings very closely, she was apparently on jail calls. She was calling her mother against the judge's orders and telling Rita Newcomb, you don't have to testify against us. People who are completely innocent, they don't call their mothers and say, you don't have to testify against us. And her mother came out in court and said, she asked me to lie about notarizing the documents. The custody documents. The forged custody documents that have been discussed in this case. It was stated, they were declaration documents. And it was stated in Rita Newcomb's case because she was the one accused of, charged with forgery or obstruction. It said that it was declarations for the children of Hannah Roden, George IV, and Jake. And so basically, these documents designated a guardian should any of them die. And these documents had been signed and notarized 19 days before the murders. And it designated the children go to Angela should any of them die. That's just one of those puzzle pieces that I felt like 
showed that Angela, she may have been the driving force here since she was the one that had the Facebook message that's been referenced in court that showed that Hannah said they'd have to kill me first before I gave up my child. And she showed that message to Jake. Angie Canepa said that in court when Jake pleaded guilty. The next thing I wanted to talk about was Alaska. When they all up and moved, to your point, together, sold all of their stuff. I went, whoo, this doesn't look good on paper. It looks like what you would suspect someone involved in a crime like this would do is to, you know, go to the other side of the world. So, I mean, that was just my initial impression of it. But to end up picking everything you own up and throwing it in, in multiple trailers and moving, man, to Alaska, that's not like, you know, moving uh, just out of state. That's that's a long way to go. And then to come right back, I, I would love to know more about the reasons behind that. You know, did they feel the heat at that point in time? Uh, were they really trying to get away? I think what I'm so interested in is Jake's wife, who we don't know all that much about, but obviously he goes to Alaska, meets a woman and then ends up marrying her. This other woman. I mean, what were those conversations like? I mean, I would love to be able to sit down and talk with her now about You know she watched that video feed of Jake pleading guilty to these murders. I mean, if he hid that from her too, you know, it's like a whole nother level, another layer on this, you know, sadistic, twisted person that he turned out to be. Elizabeth then came back to Pike County with the family and then she went to the police claiming threats, harassment and potential identity theft. Right. It's been very frustrating because that case is now years old and they won't release any more records about it or any more of the report than just the first page, which basically says a name and, you know, a a complaint lodged. It doesn't say anything else. I talked to a lawyer about it a while back who did not think it would be successful to pursue obtaining that. It's still listed as an open case, even though it's been many years. This is, of course, all speculation on my part, but because Jake's wife, Elizabeth, filed those harassment charges, because she was living with Jake and his family in Alaska, came back to Piketon, it seems like a possibility she could be the informant. Who do you think the informant or informants are? I think Jake Wagner's wife. We have efforted to find her so many times, so many ways, and I mean, roadblock after roadblock, we just, we haven't been able to speak with her. Well, I've kind of suspected for a while now that it was it was her. And then what I thought was interesting, and this was said in court, someone or more than one person refers to the informant as she. Right. Ryan Scheider, I think, said she during his testimony last August. So that that is what was the final thing to lead me to believe it was her. But I could be could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Could be a curveball out of nowhere, though. What if it's, you know, one of the grandmothers? I know that's hard to believe. I don't know how impossible it is about the grandmothers. A, obviously, they're all so tight-knit. And I do think it's interesting Frederica has not said one word, to my knowledge, publicly since Jake has made his confession. But even with Rita Newcomb, I, I can't imagine the pressure she was under when she had to talk about, you know, my daughter said this, and if she did have something to say, and they were pressing her for a long time. Again, that's why, you know, it's like there's so much left unknown with this. And I hope one day down the road we could rip this uh, case file open and when it's all said and done and, and get some more of the truth here. Anjanette and Jody, I know you live pretty local to Piteson and have been there. Joseph, can you tell us what your recent first trip was like? 
it's not unlike a lot of Appalachian towns, you know, or communities. It's uh, you can tell that, you know, there's a church just about on every corner. And the people I found were very warm. They didn't uh, put it in the vernacular. They didn't give us the side eye when we got there. You know, they were very friendly and welcoming. I even now live in Southern Appalachia. So I wasn't too far removed from my home and from that location. But when I got there from the perspective of a a forensics guy and a death investigator, everything has got to be contextualized for the environment in which it occurs. You know, these, these horrible events and horrible events occur everywhere. No one is immune to them. But you know, for me, going to Piketon and kind of seeing it, you kind of get a, a feel for the routes that people would run and that there are, there are a limited number of points of egress, I think, to get from point A to point B. It's not like you've got multiple surface roads where you can get to a variety of different locations. Essentially, there's one way in and one way out. This is not a location where if you pulled in your average Joe and just slapped them down, they're going to know where to go. It informs you as an investigator that whoever ran these routes and ran the route knew the area because there's several locations along Union Hill where essentially only one car can pass at a time in certain locations, particularly dependent upon the vehicle. And one other note, if there's someone that is not of there, of that place, you will be noticed. You will be noticed. People will take notice of your presence there because it's not heavily populated. It's sparse. And so to move through that space, you would have to know where all the twists and turns are. Uh, You'd have to know what to avoid, what's a point of view that someone might have of a particular location. All of these things are going to play into any kind of scenario that you're constructing in your mind where you're thinking, how can I go about getting away with a slaughter? Let's stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. Back in the 1990s in Las Vegas, a few of us dated the most eligible bachelor in town, Bob. He spoke several languages. He did medical missionary work, and he was Jewish. He was perfect on paper. But he wasn't. He really wasn't. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. Bob could lie about anything. It only takes the one time and somebody ends up dead. Unfortunately for Bob, us girlfriends know how to fight back. I wanted him to pay for his crime. He needed to be put to justice. I'll be honest with you, if I saw him right now, I'd spit on him. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. I will always hound you and haunt you. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the unbelievable but true story of George Remus. You might know him as a character from Boardwalk Empire or as the inspiration for Jay Gatsby. He was an eccentric and genius lawyer who figured out how to game the system during Prohibition. Remus is in the whiskey business, and Remus is the biggest man in the business. While living the life of luxury with his glamorous and ambitious wife, Imogene. Daddy, I am so glad you are here. But George Remus's wild existence took a dark and shocking turn, leading to betrayal. She had Remus just exactly where she wanted him. Revenge. Feel this muscle. I got this for Remus. I could crush him like an egg. 
and one of the most sensational murder trials in American history. We, the jury, find the defendant. Join me, Abbott Kaler, as we trace George Remus's transformation from bootleg king to alleged madman. Listen to Remus, the mad bootleg king, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. L.A.'s reputation, not so great. People from L.A. will have a very superficial, nice conversation with you, and they won't lift a finger to help you. L.A. people represent vapidity. Stop that. Like, oh, the best calls. Like, oh, shoot me. As someone born and raised here, I can tell you there's much more to L.A. than this. My name is James Kim, and I'm the creator of a new anthology fiction podcast called You Feeling This. It's 10 different stories about L.A., and the real people who make up this city. What up, Star? Did you listen to my message? Who are just trying to get by. I think I was just freaking out because I'm scared. By connecting with each other. <laughs> I'm going to be a father? Yeah. <laughs> you Feeling This, a fiction podcast mixtape about love. Listen to it on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. In our 22 years of friendship, Andy, this has to be the most bizarre thing we've ever done. I know. I love it. Our podcast, My Vagina Said What, is a podcast where we ask our everyday vagina listeners to pull up a seat at the best friend's table as we share our most personal and humiliating stories and ask questions about women's bodies. We are going to discuss all body things, like what exactly are we supposed to do with our pubes? Oh my gosh. If you could have a heart-shaped pube that were bedazzled in pink rubies. Perimenopause. I feel right now justified. I'm going to start my own personal movement. I'm going to start blaming anything that goes wrong in my life on perimenopause. Leg hair too long. Perimenopause. (laughs) (laughs) Don't have the will to clean. Perimenopause. Exactly. Our whack periods, boob issues, and so much more. Listen to My Vagina Said What podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What? So if the four Wagners committed this crime together, who was watching Jake and Hannah Roden's daughter? Was she in the car, which is unimaginable, or was she home? I mean, that's a special kind of crazy if you're going to take children along to kill eight people and just have them in their car seats. So I can't imagine anyone would do such a thing. So I would think somebody had to have been with those children. Hopefully we'll get that question answered. I mean, in the end, does it really matter? No. It's been alleged many times that each one of them had a role in this. I mean, we've kind of heard that discussed before. Yeah, because to your question of does it matter, I mean, in my mind, what would certainly is if someone outside the four is, because then that person has been living with this secret knowledge that is hard to imagine bearing Oh, sure. I mean, it's not like you just dial up a babysitter and say, hey, can you come by and watch my kids for the night? (laughs) I mean, can you imagine or my grandkids? I mean, you would think that they would have spoken to that person already if there was a fifth person watching the children or something like that. Any kind of closing bites in, Jeanette? Any thoughts at this moment? Yeah, I mean, I I would love to see what Jake told the investigators. What was behind this? Was it just the child and why? And I know why Jake, I mean, I kind of know why Jake confessed. He found God. That's what I was, that's what I heard. So don't they all though? (laughs) 
you know, if you ever covered a bond hearing. <laughs> I think some kind of find God. I think some find God. And I, I guess he found, he really found him. How about that? It, it will be interesting to see if it was more than just the child, because to wipe out eight people over a child is, you know, if that's it, that's a whole different type of thing that I'm, you know, you hear about domestic violence incidents over children and divorces going ugly and a spouse kills another spouse over control. But to kill an entire family because you want one child is it is hard to wrap your head around if that is indeed all this was about. So right now, all we know is what Jake Wagner did. So I think we can all speak with with certainty that he had a, a major role in this. But I mean, if you're looking at trying to make sense of this and, you know, it's the custody issue. But then on top of that, it, it does loop Hannah Gilly in to some extent because her brother, apparently he got this, you know, Hannah Roden pregnant. You know, it's not just Hannah and this child. It's Hannah, her mother, her father you know, all centered around this baby, everyone who could get custody of this baby, you know, that may be driving him at that point. But then you now have Hannah Gilly looped in through her brother and that's tied to to Hannah Roden. You know, I don't, is that enough? I mean, you know, what if it comes out that, and I know we all, we've all heard the theory from the, from the state at this point in time that this was a concerted effort by four members of the Wagner family. But, you know, what if it comes out that, you know, Jake was truly the trigger guy and, you know, the rest are sort of on the periphery helping and supporting, you know, again, I mean, this is just me shooting the breeze here about this, but, you know, it's just, you you try to put yourself in that mindset of doing what we know Jake did at this point in time. And the result of whoever's actions, you you still got eight people dead and children laying in the blood and the, you know, the aftermath of that. It's a a, a hell of a situation over there. We'll continue to monitor movements in George Wagner's trial, as well as any developments regarding accused father Billy Wagner and accused mother Angela Wagner. But while we wait, we want to turn our attention back to the Michael Moran story that we covered in Episode 7. I really thought there was no way. There was no way this could be going on for so long and nobody did anything about it. One of the best lawyers and a politician and a sitting judge, all possibly involved in this network. That's how deep this went. And that's when we knew we needed to get more women who had been through this experience to talk about what they said they'd been through with Michael Moran. We'll have part two of that next week. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by executive producer Jared Aston. Additional producing by Jeff Shane, Andrew Becker, and Chris Graves. The Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. It's Las Vegas, it's the 1990s, and it is time to find a husband. There were four Jewish doctors who were felt to be eligible bachelors. One of them was Bob Berenbaum. On paper, he was perfect. But in reality, this guy is a wacko. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. 
You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how to be a master of business without going back to school? This summer, the Planet Money podcast is offering its very own MBA. Enjoy classic Planet Money stories about the fundamentals of business and hear a fancy pants business school professor break down the concepts. Whether you want to start your own side hustle or just survive in the job you have, a little business know-how will make you richer. Eh, at least in knowledge. Every Wednesday till Labor Day, listen to Planet Money from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. These days, more often than not, the success of a company is attributed to its founder. But that's only part of the story. My name is Noah Callahan-Bever, and I'm proud to present Idea Generation's All Angles, a Will Packer Media podcast. We'll be talking to all the key players from all your favorite brands, like Loud Records, Ghetto Gastro, and Earn Your Leisure. So join me each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies and culture, because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Listen to Idea Generation's All Angles on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Bad Manners. This is the podcast that takes you inside Britain's stately homes and tells all the tales the guidebooks don't. My name is Tom Horton, and I'll be your host. I'm on a mission to find out the frightening, filthy, and downright jaw-dropping stories of these stately homes and the people in them. Listen to Bad Manners on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing. I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people like jazz bassist christian mcbride jazz is based on improvisation but there's very much a form to it you have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes so it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say okay talk about this listen to the new season of here's the thing on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts hey i'm bruce bozzi on the last season of table for two we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. 
We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After Lives is a new podcast about the life and legacy of Laylene Polanco, a transgender Afro-Latina who died tragically on Rikers Island Jail Complex. Justice for Laylene! loved to dance. She loved to sing. She was just happy to be alive. Stepping foot on Rikers Island has been widely acknowledged a potential death sentence. Listen to Afterlives, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.